So in October of 2016, feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? Uh, we started a new series that we called Follow Me, a fresh look at Jesus and the mission and the movement he began. When I started that series, I started off by telling you a story of a time that I was hiking out in the woods in Colorado, and it was so beautiful, and I was just sort of wandering along, and all of a sudden I realized that I had drifted off the path. I, I was not headed in the direction that I thought I was headed. I had been too distracted by looking around and enjoying what was going on that I had veered off the path. And I used that as an analogy to explain that I believe that the, the church in America has in many ways drifted off of the path that Jesus initially set it on. And so I talked about how at times in our life, it, it's good for us to just take some time and do a checkup. We go to the doctor, most of us, on an annual basis just to do a checkup and, and see if there's anything going on in our bodies that we didn't know about, and if so, to make corrections before things are too late. Uh, sometimes, you know, for those of us who are students, we take periodic tests in school, and the tests are designed to check our progress and make sure that we're headed in the right direction. We do this uh, in lots of different areas, and so I thought it was time for us maybe to do a little bit of that here uh, in church, to just sort of check our heading as Christians against the, the direction that Jesus initially set us on. And so we, we've spent basically the last year and a half look, going through the book of Luke, and then the first half of the book of Acts. We looked at the book of Luke because one of the things I told you last, back in October was that to be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus. Right? Being a Christian has a very specific definition. We, we sort of use the term uh, pretty loosely today. There's Christian everything, Christian coffee shops and Christian bookstores and all those things. But really, Christian had a meaning when it first came about. And it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. And to be a disciple in the time of Jesus meant to become like your teacher. It meant to pattern your life after, to become like your teacher or your master. And so I said that if we wanted to become like Jesus, we had to know what Jesus was like. And so we looked at the book of Luke because uh, Luke tells us that he investigated all of the sources very carefully. And he set out to write an orderly account of everything that had happened in the life of Jesus so that we could know for certain the things that we've heard about his life. So we, we studied the life of Jesus through the book of Luke and we saw what he did and what he taught. And then we moved into the book of Acts to see how the early followers of Jesus carried out the mission that he left them, how they lived according to his teaching. So that's what we've been spending the last, oh, year and a half or so doing. And today, that's coming to an end. We're bringing this whole Follow Me series to a close. It's time to move on. We've had this checkup. I think we've gone as far as we can go with this particular series. And so today, I just want to do a, a short review. I, I think it's going to be short. I, I tried to keep it short. All right. A year and a half of material in, in, in a, you know, hour and a half sermon is kind of hard, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep it there, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but we are, we are going to review um, what we've gone over. And so uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to start out um, by looking at Jesus' own mission statement. Last year, we spent a good deal of time looking at his mission statement. He went back to his hometown of Nazareth. He was there in the synagogue. They handed him the scroll to read. He opened up to the passage of Isaiah, and he read a passage, and then he declared that this passage was going to be his mission statement, that this passage was being fulfilled at that moment, and that his ministry would be characterized by these things. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we're going to look at the, the mission statement that Jesus adopted for himself very early on in his ministry. 
I'm not going to get into all of the details again. You can go back and, and listen to the sermon online if you want to fill in the details. We're just going to hit the highlights here. Here's what uh, Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. Again, he's reading from the, the prophet Isaiah, and he's applying this passage from Isaiah to his life. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And immediately following that, he said, this day is this saying fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying this is the the ministry to which I have been called to do. He came to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. From the very beginning, he said that his ministry was going to be towards those who were downtrodden, outcast, imprisoned by all sorts of different kinds of prisons, that he was there for the marginalized and there for the outcasts. Now you have to remember, in that time, in that culture, all of Israel, most of Israel, believed that they fit that category. Because they were living under Roman oppression. The Romans had had occupied Judea. They all believed that they were oppressed. That they were prisoners to Rome. And so they would have applied this. This was a messianic prophecy. They They would have applied this to themselves. But what Jesus goes on to say, and what we saw from the very beginning of our series, is that Jesus' ministry was very unlike what everyone was expecting it to be. They were expecting the Messiah to ride in on a white horse and would raise an army and would overthrow the power of Rome with military might. They were expecting a political military Messiah much like David who was going to destroy and defeat the enemies of Israel. And what we see here from the very beginning is that Jesus' ministry when he comes as the Messiah is very, very different. He doesn't ride in on a white horse and raise an army. He starts doing things differently. And he tells us his, his ministry is going to be characterized by, the, by ministry, by service to these kinds of people. The poor, the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed. Now again, his audience would have believed that they would have fit that category. But uh, as, as, as the story unfolds in Luke chapter 4, something sort of interesting happens. It says, at first, everybody speaks well of Jesus. At first, everybody speaks well of Jesus. But then he challenges them just a little bit. And he says, some of you are going to say, physician, heal yourself. And, I, and then he points something out. He says, he, he goes back to the Old Testament. And he says, back in the days of Elijah, back in the days of the Old Testament, there were many people who needed to be healed. And yet, at times, God only went to the outsiders. To the Gentiles. There were many widows who needed to be who, who needed care. And the prophet went to one on the outside. There were many lepers in Israel, but the prophet only healed Naaman, who was a Gentile outsider. And so what Jesus begins to hint at here in Luke chapter 4 is that his ministry is not just going to be to Israel in general, but specifically to those who are poor, prisoners, blind, and oppressed, even. Gentiles. Even those unwashed sinners on the outside. 
And so the same group who had been speaking well of Jesus when he proclaimed this ministry because they saw themselves in this category, when he flipped the, the, the category on them, when he said, no, I'm not talking about who you're expecting, they went from speaking well of him to trying to throw him off of a cliff. How's that for a response to a sermon? So from the very beginning... We see that Jesus' ministry was going to be to outsiders, to the oppressed, to the marginalized, even those that that the the religious people in Israel didn't want to have anything to do with. This was Jesus' ministry from the very, very beginning. So one of the things that we might ask ourselves is, 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 what did Jesus mean when he said this? What did Jesus mean by this kind of ministry? ministry for himself. Well, here's a principle for you that you can use when you're reading, reading scripture. This applies to Jesus and to Paul and to others. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what he said, look at what he did. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what he said, look at what he did. The same applies to Paul. Oftentimes, people's, what they say is, is made clear by what they actually do. So later on, as we studied Luke, we, we move forward to Luke chapter 5. Now, we're not going to go this slow through every chapter. I, I see some of you. We'll, we'll, we'll skip forward. But he, he goes to Luke. In Luke chapter 5, Luke tells a story of Jesus going to a party with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners. And while he's there, the religious leaders start questioning. They say, why? They, they go to Jesus' disciples and say, why does your master eat with tax collectors and sinners. Because in that time, to share a meal with somebody was to, was to share life. It was an expression of friendship and acceptance and love. And so these Pharisees, looking at Jesus, who is, who is sharing this meal with this group of, of unwashed sinners and tax collectors, these outsiders, these rebels, the, the, the religious leaders saying, why is he doing that? Why is he extending friendship? Why is he extending acceptance? Why is he extending love to this group of people that aren't following the rules, that aren't living according to the law, that are, that are not doing what good religious people are supposed to do. And Jesus' response sheds a lot of light on his entire ministry and his entire way of going about what God had called him to do. In Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, you can flip over there. Here's what he says in response to the Pharisees. He says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, But the sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In other words, Jesus was a doctor who made house calls. Right? So one of the things I said when we first went through this, imagine going to the doctor because you don't feel well, because you're sick. And the doctor says, sorry, I can't see you. Come back when you feel better. This is how a lot of the religious leaders operated back then. And Jesus says, uh, Jesus shows that he views sickness as, he he views sin as a sickness of the soul. He viewed sin as a sickness of the soul. And so instead of going around judging everyone, he went to them and he brought them healing and deliverance. And he went to them where they were. He didn't wait for them to come to him. They did that sometimes too. But he went to where they were and he focused on reaching those who were on the outside. This characterized his entire ministry. Interaction after interaction, parable after parable, Jesus in the book of Luke shows us that God's heart breaks for those who are lost, for those who are on the outside, for those whose, whose lives, whose decisions, whose sins had separated them from God. And instead of being uh, 
uh, angry with them for being that. Jesus went to them and he demonstrated love to them and he demonstrated grace for them and he demonstrated mercy for them and he offered them forgiveness and healing and acceptance and friendship knowing that that kind of ministry would be one that would win their hearts back to, to God and their Heavenly Father. And so his entire ministry was characterized by going out, by reaching out to those who were on the outside. And doing so often brought him in head-to-head conflict with the insiders. With those who thought things ought to be done a different way. And over and over again, Jesus reveals to us that God's heart is always to reach those who are far from him. That God's heart is always to reach those who are far from him. And he was willing to set aside long-standing traditions to do this. He would heal on the Sabbath. He would do all sorts of other things that the good religious folks said, you just can't do that. And Jesus says, I'm going to do it anyway because God cares about these people more than he cares about the the traditions that we have established. And he broke the norms. He broke all of the religious norms because he knew that reaching people who were far from God was what he had been sent to do. Then after a while, after doing a lot of this ministry himself, we saw in the book of Luke that Jesus began to invite his disciples to participate in ministry with him. He invited them not just to follow, but to join. And we saw that when he sent out the 12, and then when he sent out the 70, and he gave them power and authority and told them to go out and to preach the message, to preach the good news to those who were out there. And he he had them doing the very same things that he had been doing. And we saw this ministry multiplication. No longer was it just Jesus going about bringing this message of healing and love and reconciliation and the tangible power that goes along with it, but he was starting to invite more and more people and include more and more people and empower them to go out and to serve and to minister and to heal and to preach. And we saw as we we went through this uh, this mini-series we called Join Me that, that following Jesus is not a spectator sport. It's not something that we get saved and we we have our our fire insurance and we're fine until he comes back and we go to heaven. That's not what following Jesus is about. He, He invites those of us who have experienced his mercy and his grace and his love and his forgiveness to then become participants in the mission with him and alongside him and empowered by him. And he taught his disciples that this was this was not going to be easy. That this was going to come at great cost and great sacrifice. He told them that they would have to die to themselves in order to live the way that he wanted them to live. But that doing so would bring them life to the full. But that following Jesus was going to require some some sacrifice. And it was going to require some effort. It was going to require setting aside some of their own ideas and and notions and preferences in order to, to do what he had been called to do and what he had then called them to do. Now, as we studied through, as we went through this series, we saw that the disciples were far from perfect. They messed up time and time again. They were immature. They were impetuous. They made all sorts of bad decisions. They fought with one another about who was going to be greater. And, and, and none of that scared Jesus away. He lovingly and patiently corrected them and brought them back and focused them once again on the mission. Reminding them that he was there to bring healing to the world and that they were going to be his agents, his ambassadors to do the same. 
And then he did something remarkable to demonstrate his commitment for his love to the world. He went to the cross and was crucified as a common criminal to take upon himself the sins of the world, to bring about forgiveness and healing so that all of humanity could have a restored relationship with God. In in that moment, his disciples didn't know what was happening. They they thought for, for a couple of days that the mission was over until three days later he was raised from the dead. And he gathered his disciples again, and he spent some time with them three days later. And then after a couple of weeks of being raised from the dead, he gathered them together and he said, all right, guys, it's time for me to go back to my father. Everything that I've began here, I'm leaving in your hands. I'm entrusting you to carry out this mission that I began, that I've invited you to join. And he gave them some very specific instructions. We, we spent some time in Matthew chapter 28, looking at verses 19 and 20, the Great Commission. Here's what he instructed them to do right before he ascended into heaven. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. He commissioned his followers to carry on the mission that he began, which was reaching those who are far from God. At first, they didn't understand the implications. They didn't understand that when he said all nations, he really meant all nations. It took him some time to, to get this together. But they, they finally began to see that he was serious about reaching those who were far from God, even among the Gentiles. Here's how Luke put it in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. At another occasion, Jesus said this. He says, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this would require them to start thinking in new ways and start acting in new ways. And eventually, as we saw over the past few weeks, this was going to require them to give up some some deep-seated traditions, some deep-seated ways of thinking about how religion was done to their very core. Things like dietary laws and things like circumcision that had literally defined them for thousands of years. They were now called to set aside because the mission of reaching those who were far from God was more important. Now we know that it took them some time to finally grasp this. It took them a couple of years for them to to really understand the implication of what Jesus had called them to do. But when they finally grasped it, Not only Jerusalem began to change, but the whole known world, the whole Roman Empire started seeing these little cell groups of Christians popping up, much of which was the result of a man named Paul. We looked at his story in depth a few weeks ago. Saul, who was a persecutor of Christians, a a Jewish Pharisee who believed that that the teaching of Jesus was heresy and was putting to death its preachers, had an encounter with Jesus. And he did a 180 degree turn. And he went from being a persecutor to being a preacher of the gospel. And he finally grasped this message that Jesus was serious about reaching everyone. And so this Pharisee, who, who is up to that point his entire life, had been defined very specifically by very specific traditions and very specific ways of doing religion, 
had a change of heart. Last week we looked at the, the summary of his ministry and how he went about becoming so effective at making Christians across the entire Roman Empire in, in many different countries, in many different cultures, in many different cities, many different kinds of people. Here's what he said that he did. He said, in his ministry, I became all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. He said, I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. The reason that Paul was able to be so effective at making disciples in so many different communities and cultures and countries across the Roman Empire was because he was willing to do anything short of sin to reach those who were far from God. And the reason that he did that was because he had internalized this mission from Jesus. He had finally come to grasp that the heart of God was always about reaching those who were far from God. And that it was worth doing whatever it took, anything short of sin, to reach those who were far from God. And many of us today are here because Paul and his later followers were willing to do the same. They were willing to cross cultural boundaries. They were willing to set aside their preferences for the sake of helping others come to know God. We are here because there have been men and women in the history of the church for 2,000 years who have caught the vision, who have grasped the mission of God, which is to reach those who are far from God, the poor, the oppressed, the blind, the prisoner, in every category. And they were willing to, to, to give up everything sometimes, sometimes their very lives, for the sake of helping those who didn't know God come to experience His love and enter into relationship with Him. And, and we are benefactors of the people who have done that. So, to, to, to bring this summary to a close, I, I want to I give you a three-point bottom line. I, I normally only do one-point sermons. But I want to give you a three-point bottom line as we tie all of this together. Here's the first point. Jesus shows us that reaching those who are far from God is his top priority. This was the very mission of Jesus. He came, he tells us, to seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save. Not just to save those who sought him. Right? There were some people who came to him. But he came to seek, to go out, to find This was his top priority, and this was the mission that he gave his followers. So point number two, we are called to follow him and to join him. We are called to follow him and to join him. Which is pretty remarkable. That the mission that the Son of God was entrusted with has now been entrusted to us. He invites us to be a part of that ministry. And he, he, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that he has entrusted us with the ministry and the message of reconciliation. As we saw in previous weeks, God didn't give this message to the angels. Sometimes an angel would show up, but he always directed the angel to another person. A person who would preach the gospel. 
This is something that we have been entrusted with. A mission that we have been called to steward as we follow him and join him. This is a remarkable privilege that we get to join with God in his mission in reaching those who are far from him. He could have done it another way. Angels are probably more obedient than people are. He could have, he could have made the angels do it. But he, he wanted us to share in his blessing, like we saw with Paul. So here's point number three. We will give account for our stewardship of the mission. Because following Jesus is much more than just praying a prayer and believing the right things, we have been told that we will give account for how we lived our life and how we stewarded what he has entrusted us with. Now, you can take this one of two ways. You can take it as a fear motivation, or you can take it as there is blessing and reward for faithfully carrying out what God has called us to do. Paul said that the reason that he did what he did was so that he could share in the blessings. Folks, there will be a reward. There will be eternal ramifications, eternal blessings and rewards for those who are willing to follow Jesus, to give up, to, to die to themselves, to commit themselves and everything they have to the mission of God. And as your pastor, I want you to share in those blessings. I want you to share in those blessings. I want you to to hear, when Judgment Day comes, I want you to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want you to be able to, 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 to look Jesus in the eye and say, I was faithful to your mission. I was, I, it, it was hard sometimes. Sometimes it required uh, it, more of me than I wanted to give. I, I had to sacrifice some of my own preferences, some of my own ways of doing things, some of my own time and my own money, but, but I was faithful to what you called me to do. I want you to, I want you to experience the satisfaction when that day comes of hearing him say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. But not only that, I want you to experience the blessings of that now. I want you to experience the the raw joy accompanied with seeing somebody who's far from God finally experience the love of God and come into relationship. I want you to experience the joy of lives transformed by the good news of Jesus and by the love of God. We have that in your bulletin every week. It says, we believe that the love of God and the good news of Jesus has the power to transform hearts and lives and families and communities. And if we believe that, and if we're a part of that, there's so much joy that awaits us now and for all of eternity. So this is the end of this series. I know some of you think that I've been beating a dead horse for a year and a half with some of this but, but I, I've been so focused on this because I, I really want it to stick. Because I want you to experience the joy. I want you to share in the blessings. I want you to be able to look back and say, I was a part 
of leaving something for the next generation. Just like somebody did for me. So it's the end of the series, but I, but I pray that for many of us, this is, this is just the beginning of, of a brand new walk with Jesus. That this is the beginning of a brand new mission, a brand new commitment to following Jesus where he leads. He doesn't promise that it's going to be easy. He doesn't promise that it's going to be comfortable. In fact, he basically promises the opposite. But he promises it will be rewarding. And he promises that if we do so, we'll find life to the full, not only in this life, but for all of eternity. So for everyone who's here, for everyone who's watching or listening online, I want to invite you to say yes to Jesus. Wherever you are. Maybe you've been following Jesus for 80 years. I want to invite you to say yes for this next year. To commit to doing just a little bit more. To going just a little bit further. To asking, what can I do with this next year in my life to make an impact for the kingdom of God and live on mission? Maybe you're a relatively new Christian. And, and, and maybe you're, you're not sure what you're supposed to be doing with your life. I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus as well. To, to devote yourself while, while you're, you're young and spry and have energy to, to following Jesus. And helping others come to know him in whatever sphere of influence God has given you. This doesn't mean you have to go to seminary. This doesn't mean you have to become a preacher. It just means that in whatever sphere of influence you live, that you would recognize that you are an ambassador for Jesus that you have his love to share with those around you. If, you've, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've been exploring faith, if you're, if, you're, if you're not sure, I want to invite you to say yes to Jesus on your next step. To trust that he really does love you. That he came into the world so that you could experience true love in relationship with your Heavenly Father. And that that if you choose to follow him, it may not always be easy. It may mean dying to yourself in certain categories of life that, that are going to be painful and difficult, but that in doing so, he's going to help you experience life to the full. Wherever you are, as we bring this series to a close, I want to invite you to follow him and to join him. This is a decision that we have to make every day. But I'd like to invite you to renew that commitment or make that commitment for the first time today. Because after this, we're going to move on to a different series. But I don't want you to forget that this is the basis. This is the foundation for what it means to be a Christian. It means to follow him and to join him on the mission that he's entrusted us with. It's not going to be easy. But if we do it right, it will be full of joy. And will be filled with purpose. And we'll know that the impact that we're making will ring out, not only in our lives, but for all of eternity. I want you to think about 2,000 years from now. 
if Jesus still has not come back by then? Will somebody be able to stand up somewhere and point back and say it was because of people back then, 2,000 years ago, in 2018, who were willing to, to set aside everything, who were willing to risk anything so that we could have a relationship with God? The Bible's been written. The canon is closed. So there's not going to be any scripture about our life like there is for Paul. But there will be stories. You probably have stories of people who in your life who were willing to be there for you. You probably don't know this, but there are people who were willing to sacrifice for you. There are people who were willing to give up what was comfortable for you. And there are others who will be able to say that because of you. If you choose to say yes to Jesus and what he's called us to do and to join him on his mission. I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up, sing a couple of songs. During these songs, if you have felt led to make either a new commitment or a renewed commitment, if you want to come forward for any reason to receive prayer, I'd like to, the altars will be open. If you come up, um, if you come to this side, you can pray on your own. Uh, if you come to this side, I'll come and I will pray with you and for you. I just want to give you an opportunity to respond as we sing these next two songs. So please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for looking down on us in the world and seeing that we had gotten ourselves into a mess that we just couldn't clean up on our own. Father, and in your love for sending your Son to help us clean it up, to show us how to live, to take the, 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 the mess that we made upon himself, even to the point of dying for our sin. Father, I thank you for these stories that you have preserved for us for, through all these years so that we can look back and see that your heart has always been to reach those who are far from you, which at one time was us, God. We remember that at one time we were those who were far from you and because you loved us and you sent your son and then there were people who were willing to, to, to be obedient to him that you have now reached us 2,000 years later. So Father, I pray that you would help us to see the, the urgency of your mission. To understand that we, as followers of Jesus, have been called to join you, to participate in that mission. I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage and the will to respond. Father, as we do, I pray that you would help us experience profound joy and profound purpose. That you would help us to understand that as we participate with you in mission, that there's nothing that we would give up now that you will not more than reward us for, both in this life and for all of eternity. So God, I pray that if there's anything that's holding us back from whatever our next step might be, that you would just break those chains that you would set us free from whatever is keeping us from running towards you 
with arms wide open. Father, you know each of us. You know what our next step is. I pray that for every one of us, you would help us to identify our one next step forward. And you would give us the courage and the strength to take it. And I pray that as a church, God, that you would use us to to be a beacon of your light and your love and your hope and your grace and your forgiveness in this community. Father, I pray that you would make us willing, like Paul, to do whatever it takes to reach those who are far from you. And I pray that 10, 20, 100, 1,000 years from now, someone can look back and understand that they are now in relationship with you because of a sacrifice that somebody in this room made today. Father, help us to understand that our lives matter in the scope of your mission. And give us the courage to take that seriously and respond appropriately, however that may be for us. Thank you for this series, God, and what you have used it to do. I pray that you would continue to use these truths to to spur us forward into love and good works. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done. And we pray in the strong and the powerful name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen.